Welcome to the SCG Church Podcast. We'd love to have you join us for our weekend services in person in our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our service live online at scgchurch.org or live on our Facebook and YouTube pages. Thanks for listening. Okay, let me see. Do I have anything? I think I went over everything. So let me introduce today's uh, guest speaker is uh, Jack Barsky, and I'm going to invite Jack on up as he makes his way up. If you haven't heard, um, he has a very interesting life story, and we're going to get to dig into just a little bit of that today. Uh, He was a former KGB agent, and uh, if you have seen him online, he has had uh, different interviews pretty much with every news organization, and uh, they have millions and millions of views, best-selling book, uh, and uh, and a podcast which um, he tells his whole story. And so will you please help me welcome Jack. All right, well, good morning. Morning. How are you? Uh, I am overjoyed to be in the presence of several hundred Christians in California. Yeah, in California. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do exist. We are here. Yeah. So, uh, you like California, by the way? You, you're here visiting for a little bit? <sighs> I, I, I like what God has given uh, you like, fo- folks here. Okay, okay. You mean the good weather? N- nature. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and I, I, like, I like the overall disposition of Californians. When, when I came first time, uh, I, I spent most of my time uh, in the United States living in the Northeast. And the first time I, <clears throat> I flew into California, I get off the plane and I walk down uh, the uh, reception hall, and people were looking at me and saying hi. I said, what's going on here? <laughs> that so, doesn't happen anymore, yeah. unfortunately. We avoid eye contact oh, at all costs oh. now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of gone south a little bit since then, so sorry. <laughs> sorry to hear that. Yeah, I know. I know. You have to go back to the but, Midwest But the folks that. I've met uh, since I got here three days ago are, are still, I think, traditional Californians. Yeah. And, and, and the folks I've met in here, I've got to tell you, wonderful people. And I, b- before I get, we get into the story here, I've got to say it again. Uh, in my 14 years walk as a Christian, I've been to a lot of churches. This worship is by far the best I've ever experienced. Yes, that's right. And, and the, on, the only thing I can compare it to, and I'm totally honest about it, is Hillsong. These guys are that good. That's right. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> yeah. We have to make up for our lack of speaking, so we have to get a really good, really good band in here to kind of balance things out. Oh, you don't want me to sing. Well, <laughs> so um, for those of you uh, who don't know anything about Jack, maybe I will just give a quick kind of background information, um, where you're from, basic upbringing, kind of some basic stats. Mm-hmm. That's you. Oh, me. Yeah, 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 that's you. Oh, you want me to do you, it? You, you, you think I still remember all I of that? <laughs> all right, real quick. Uh, uh, born in uh, 1949, uh, that was five years after the, uh, the end of World War II, uh, in a godforsaken eastern, southeastern corner of Germany uh, that was occupied by Soviet troops and eventually became uh, a, a communist state under the Soviet Union, it was called the German Democratic Republic. Uh, there was only one word of the three that was valid. It was German. It was neither democratic nor republic. It was a communist dictatorship. And so I grew up in a, uh, um, in a, um, in a uh, brutal dictatorship 
that uh, who's, our, our religion was Marxism-Leninism, and uh, I didn't know anything about God. There was, there was no God in our, in our life, period. Uh, and that, that persisted from birth through college, and then my, my engagement with the KGB it took a long time for, for me to uh, find him, or yeah. for him to find me. I yeah. <laughs> So um, there's so many different like twists and turns to his story, and so if you're like, okay, wait, there's something missing there. There's a get. There will be lots of those, okay? Because we're gonna have to skip around and give a, a quick overview. But he has a, a book and the podcast and all that kind of stuff. So if you're interested, you can hear all all of those stories. Um, so let's fast forward because you end up going through school. You become um, an intellectual. You're an elite academic. Yeah. And so you get uh, into university, and in university. You're studying chemistry. You seem to be excelling at, at that, top of your class. You seem is the wrong word. You I, were excelling. I, I, apologize. I didn't mean to undersell you there. I, 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 was, I was the best. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> they don't teach modesty in the KGB. All right. Um, <laughs> so you are the best in your... Uh, in school, and so you start getting the attention of uh, the government, and you eventually are recruited into the KGB. Correct. Uh, the, the, you could not, like, you, you can apply uh, to with the CIA in the United States. You could not do this. The KGB uh, exclusively recruited. They were looking for the right candidates, and uh, apparently I was one of those. So, so you don't go to them, they come to you. <clears throat> yes. And then they recruit you into, and if you don't know what the KGB is, it's kind of like from... from my understanding, it's like if you took the, all the intelligence agencies here in the United States, so you've got the FBI, CIA, things like that, that's what they were for the Soviet Union. And the majority of KGB agents were actually internal police to, you know, watch over uh, their own population and make sure that, uh, you know, the dissidents were sent into gulags. And in some cases, people were like executed, particularly during Stalin's time. Uh, the forerunner of the KGB was a very murderous organization. When I joined, they still did some killings, but not massive. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so you guys are probably familiar with Putin, who was also a KGB member. Uh, there was some time overlap, which we had talked about, um, that you guys were in at the same time. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, so eventually you get recruited into, into KGB, which is an interesting story in and of itself, but um, you decide that you're going to join, and you begin training. So what yep. kind of stuff did they train you to do? Um, it, it, it started out, the first assignment I had was to read a book it's called The History of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. So it was <laughs> continued indoctrination. So I knew exactly why I joined. Uh, and uh, the second the document that I was to read was the Constitution of West Germany, uh, the German, uh, the Bundesrepublik, the uh, the other German state that was capitalist and aligned with uh, uh, the United States, uh, because the plan was to send me as a as an illegal agent uh, to West Germany, which would have been pretty easy in terms of speaking the same language, having the same cultural background, and so forth. So that's that's what that was the reason they actually initially recruited me. Uh, training. And there, there's a whole lot of skills that you need to have in, in order to operate in, in the world, uh, w w which we call the wilderness of mirrors. Uh, so I'm just uh, going to name a few. It, it starts out uh, with uh, learning to 
read Morse code uh, because my the 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 communication to me while I was active in the U.S. was over shortwave radio Morse code, only digits. Uh, the, this was in, encrypted. Uh, the messages were encrypted, so I had to learn the encryption decryption algorithm. Uh, I sent uh, information back to Moscow in letters with secret writing. I had to study that. I studied photography. Uh, I, I learned the protocols, how you meet uh, another agent, and uh, and you know how you hand over um, objects rather than just information. Which, uh, which is called the dead drop operation, uh, and also surveillance detection to find out if, if, if you're being followed. Uh, all of that took, took a lot of time. And uh, the other thing is that then they gave me some tasks to, to like sort of uh, knock on doors of, of, a, of a family that I was given an address, uh, knock on door and, and start a conversation and then find out something about a relative they had in the West. I hated doing that, but I, I did succeed. <laughs> you know, as honest as I was, I, I became a really, really good liar. I'm not proud of it. So, the part of your, and we were, we've been talking the last uh, couple of days is, I was trying to understand like the big picture. <clears throat> what is like the goal here? Okay, and so for some of you who are like my age and, and younger, is you don't you either weren't around for the Cold War, you don't remember any of it, you're, you're not familiar with what had happened. Is um, there was this Cold War that was happening um, between us and the Soviet Union, and people uh, like him were sent to the West in order to spy to keep track of what was happening, just in case that Cold War went hot. Yep. They would have people on the ground who would be able to feed back information um, um, directly from from here. And so that was like kind of what you were, were training to do: collect information, keep keep eyes on the ground, and then see if there was anybody that you could flip here yeah. to the KGB. There, there were actually very few of us. In total, they had three waves of illegals that they sent over here. Each one of them were about ten people. We were the highly admired elite. Everybody would would want to do something that, that we did, but. Uh, you know, you had to have certain skill sets and certain uh, capabilities, innate capabilities that, that may, made you uh, a candidate into being a successful undercover uh, illegal. So one of those things was you had to be <coughs> proficient in certain languages, obviously yeah. yours is yeah. English, and so it took you years uh, of mm -hmm. training, and was it Moscow in order to... Uh, yeah, well, two, two years in Berlin and two years in Moscow with uh, Americans who, uh, who with whom I had conversations and who taught me how to pr properly pronounce uh, in, in the way Americans uh, pronounce English words. And uh, we, we did pretty well. You know, I came over here and, and I became Jack Barsky, who uh, was actually a, an individual who was born in the United States but passed away at the age of uh, 10. And so I assumed his identity. So in other words, I always told people I was born in New Jersey. And there was never a doubt that, that was possible because I lived in New York. And in New York, there's all kinds of little weird accents and nobody, nobody bothers. Okay. So <clears throat> the process of getting from there in Moscow to here, you had to assume numerous identities, right. um, have different passports right. that you could use. You right. traveled to different countries so that it couldn't be traced back. Mm -hmm. um, and then eventually mm -hmm. you came to become uh, Jack Barsky, who was a child who had died years prior to this, and you were able to get 
his uh, birth certificate or the KGB was, right. you created an entire right. background story of here's what my life was that was pretty yes. much all made up, yes. and then arrived here in the United States as if you were born here. That is correct, and we conveniently killed my father when I was two years old, so I was raised by a bilingual mother. So just in case somebody heard the accent and says, well, yeah, I grew up bilingual. Okay. <clears throat> so you, you're like thinking right now about some people in your neighborhood, right? That you think, <laughs> I did hear some sort of accent there, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Probably KGB. Anyway, um, so eventually you arrive here uh, in Chicago, then you make your way to New York and you be just begin a new life. Right? Yep, yep. What, uh, you try to find odd jobs, eventually you find some jobs, and then part of what you have to do is establish an identity here with that and get that passport. Yeah, yeah, what did that yeah. process look like? Well, I got, I, I got uh, the documentation required to live here as an American and work. So the, the, the two key pieces were the uh, a driver's license and, uh, and a social security card. So I could actually get real jobs and not just work uh, you know, uh, off the books. Okay, so part of that process was, uh, it was funny, you went to the National Museum mm -hmm. and became a member there, Yeah, the right? Museum of Natural History. Okay, and then you went to the yeah, library? I got a membership card, and with that I could get a library card, and with a library card I, w I was able to get a driver's license. And then eventually Social Security? Yes. Okay, great, good system. Okay. Um, uh, the, the United States was so open for people like me, and in many respects the United States is still way too open uh, to be, uh, you know, to, to be attacked by uh, foreign intelligence. Yeah, so eventually you establish your identity here, but you don't get a passport, That's right. And, uh, well, fortunately, I, unfor you get it. I, I failed. The, the, the plan A was for me to eventually get a passport and then uh, travel back to Europe and uh, um, start a company in, say, Switzerland where the KGB would have funneled a lot of money into that company so that maybe after 10 million or so, I, I could repatriate the money, come back here. And nobody, n nobody would have asked, you know, how did you get all that money? Well, I, I, did, you know, I did all that business in, in Europe. And at that point, I would have been able to you know, enter the echelon of society that, uh, where all the decision, ma decision makers sat. Uh, for instance, you know, I could have joined a country club right next to the Pentagon. Mm. Uh, I am so thankful to the individual who got suspicious when I applied in person for a passport that uh, he said, we have a, some doubt about your identity and uh, made me uh, fill out a secondary uh, um, uh, questionnaire. And the first question was, where did you go to high school? Busted. You know, I, I managed to get, get myself out of that situation and just w walk out, out of there without being uh, detained and questioned any So further. the reason why that was an issue is because if you had put a high school and then they checked with that Oh, high absolutely. School, they, there was no Jack Barsky in that, in that high school for sure. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so you end up here in the States and you're doing surveillance and things <clears> like that, but you also have, and so that's kind of what's happening in your, mm. in your career, but you also mm. have your personal life. Yeah. And so let's rewind a little bit here because <clears> you uh, had a family back home, no. but why don't you just talk us through that a little bit? Well, but that's the sad part of my, my story, and that's the, that's the one, one part of my story that, uh, and th thanks to the forgiveness by the Lord, that uh, I have been able to process 
Uh, I was married in Germany. I, I loved the woman. We had a child together. Uh, she, uh, in, initially the KGB thought they would send us as a couple, but uh, psychologically she, 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 she wouldn't have been able to, to do that. So we decided that she would stay in, in Germany. And uh, she knew where I was going, what I was doing, and she sort of, we, we sort of figured maybe 10 years and she was going to wait for me. It was a, it was a true love relationship. Um, and, uh, but when I, and th this is what happened to me. When I took on the identity of Jack Barsky, I, that was a different individual. I compartmentalized, you know. The, uh, I, for, and after I started learning English, uh, when I got to a point that, that I was somewhat comfortable, I learned English from English. I didn't learn how to translate, so that was part of the compartmentalization. And anyway, I, I started owning my backstory. I started owning the fact that I was born in, in the U.S. And so I wound up you know, uh, dating in the United States and then getting married to uh, a lady who was an illegal immigrant who married me to become legal. And <laughs> what are the chances? <laughs> and it worked. So, and then, then she became pregnant, and uh, all of a sudden I had a, a, a wife with a child in Germany and a wife with a child in the United States. So you literally lived two separate lives, and, and you didn't yes, even think of one as the other. Like when you would go back to see your German family, <laughs> Um, you wouldn't even think about Jack Barsky. No. That would be completely out of no. your mind, completely disconnected. That's a different person. And then you would come back to the States, no. and then that family was completely disconnected and out of and, your mind. You know, it's, it's really funny. When, when I went back to Germany, I was so happy to, to see my wife, and uh, I brought presents and stuff like that, and it was wonderful. The moment I set foot on United States territory I, I, again, I thought, it's good to be home. Hmm. So... so I have a lot of questions. Um, I, I think trying to, when I was trying to make sense of this part of your story, some of it uh, went back to maybe your childhood and your upbringing and just the harsh reality of where yeah. you came from and then you were ultimately then trained to be, which you've said mm -hmm. in your podcast over and over again is, is just cold-hearted. Yeah, uh, th that wasn't by design, but uh, uh, the family I, I grew up in was totally devoid of emotions. You know, my, I've, I've never uh, witnessed my parents hug each other, kiss each other, say, say I love you. None of that. They, they were colleagues uh, that uh, worked on creating a halfway decent life, giving us food, shelter, uh, clothes, and making sure that we, my, I had a brother, we, we did well in school. Uh, but there was there was nothing emotional, and, and there was also no emotions uh, uh, expended to, to to deal with with the children. Yeah, you told a story where you said you, you lived in, in poverty because it was after the war. Yeah. You're in East Germany, and yeah. one of the times you were complaining to your mother of a stomach ache, and her yeah. response was, "Well, go take the local bus to the hospital and get yeah. it figured out." Yeah. And it turned out you had appendicitis and all this, and that was just kind of you know you figure it out, you the, do it. The 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 it was quite visible that I was in pain because I couldn't stand up straight. I I had to st you know stand with with bent forward. Standing up it was extremely painful, and I had to walk to the bus. It was maybe a quarter mile, but you know when you have that kind of a pain, I mean it, it was just 
incredible. And there were some other things going on uh, uh, that you put put under the heading of tough love, but it was exceedingly tough. Mm-hmm. So uh, we fast forward through, you're here in the United States, you're um, getting different jobs, eventually you land better jobs where you're sort of getting some software, some information that you're <coughs> passing on. You told me a story about one of your jobs was you were, uh, you were supposed to track down an ex-KGB assassin yes. in California, which you did, mm-hmm. and, uh, and so you, you were given all of these tasks. In San Bernardino. San Bernardino, <laughs> that's where they are. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that's rude. That was, I apologize, that was rude. They're in Bakersfield. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, okay. Uh, anyway, um, <laughs> so you're living these two, two different lives, really three different lives. You're, you have a German life, an American life, and then this spy life, and eventually you have to decide because they all kind of come to a head where you're going to have to choose yeah. one of these paths. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, maybe you could quickly tell us about how that, how that sure. ended up happening. Uh, t- ten years into my... Uh, uh, existence here as an undercover agent, uh, the KGB somehow got spooked by somebody telling them that uh, uh, I was about to be busted. And so they ordered me back home uh, as an, in an emergency mode. And so this was, this was a, a predefined process, how I would run away when I, when I had to run through Canada and so forth. Uh, and um, at that point, I had this this uh, this daughter. But wait, well, then, but the way that they told you to run was in, when you were in New York. You're in the subway. Yeah. They painted a red dot. Yeah, there was a red dot on uh, on a on a predefined spot. And when I saw that uh, red dot on my way to work, I can't say the, the words that I thought here. But you can figure out. Oh no! You know oh, what? No. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and. Uh, and and it, I stalled for a while, but eventually they they did something that that, that was actually uh, forbidden. But they had an agent actually come to me uh, and 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 tell me in a few words that it's time to go. Well, what he said is, "You got to come home, or else you're dead." So here we now I'm forced with making a decision. I didn't want to leave my daughter. I I. Uh, I, uh, you know, all the men in the audience, you know what it's like when, when you have a little girl uh, that, uh, that you're, uh, that you're grow, watching grow up and that you take care of. I mean, it was, it was an unexpected uh, attack of massive unconditional love. That's when I, I think, I tell people that's when I uh, joined the human race again because up until that, that point I was just really, really selfish and, and full of full of it and proud of myself and so forth. So I, now I had the choice. If, if, I, don't, if I don't go back, uh, that could be very dangerous. The FBI might actually be after me and the KGB wouldn't like it if I, told, if I, if I uh, disobey the order. Uh, if I do go back, it was all good. You know, I, I had Western currency over there. They were going to give me a house. I would join my German family again. But then there was... The only thing that uh, that is stronger than that was stronger than all the other calculations was the smile of my daughter Chelsea, and so I decided to stay and resign from the KGB. Yeah, because you can just resign from something like that, right? You can just say no, thank you. 
Um, I won't have my pension. I think I'll just resign. Yeah, no, they, 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 they owe me the pension. I still have yeah, it. It's in the mail. The check's in the mail. Well, and, and you know, people, people would, would ask, you know, how did, how did I get away with that? And, uh, yeah, I think that it was, that was divine intervention because it popped into my head. You know what? I'm just going to tell him I have HIV AIDS. And it worked. Because they were terrified it was during the AIDS and, Oh, absolutely. And that, that was in 1988. In those days, you, there was no cure for AIDS. And you would die from that uh, disease. And it was highly infectious. And they, they would have not even let me in if they had uh, 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 heard that. Of course, I didn't have it. But they had no reason not to believe me. And so not that I was, was certain, but that kept them from even looking for me and you know, maybe, maybe doing me harm because I was going to die anyway. Hmm. So fast forward a little bit more and you are a typical American dad living in a <clears throat> suburban neighborhood, yeah. raising kids, married, yeah. um, but eventually uh, mm -hmm. you get caught. Yeah, uh, and um, there's a second individual who I would like to uh, say thank you to uh, because he was the one who betrayed me. He was, he was a, an employee of the KGB in the, in the, in the archives, and he had, um, he, he had developed a, a deep hatred for the Soviet system, and the only way he thought he could do some damage is to uh, smuggle information out of the archives. He would, do, he would uh, put like little handwritten notes into his underwear or in his socks, and every day smuggled something out for years. And then he would transcribe this and, and the, uh, the final typewritten notes he buried in a, in a, in a dacha. And then uh, in 1992, he uh, uh, approached the British embassy in one of the Baltic states and told them what he had. So they managed to dig up the information. It was like five suitcases full of stuff. It was the, the largest intelligence find in history. And amongst all that, that pile of notes, there, were, there was a little bit of uh, an, uh, an, um, um, an entry that said, uh, Jack Barsky, illegal uh, uh, agent living in the northeast of the United States. And uh, with that information, you know, with that last name, I was pretty easy to find. There are not too many Barskys. And so at that point, the FBI knew that I was a very, very well-trained agent, you know, because, because I, 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 they didn't, I didn't, I didn't get caught, so they didn't know what I, was I still active, and so they were very, very careful. It took them uh, two and a half years to just watch me from a distance. They also managed to buy the house next door to mine, and, uh, <laughs> to to, uh, to um, take, you know, keep a closer eye on me. Uh, but then you're going to ask the question, so how did they know, how, how did they have proof that that information was correct? Because I wasn't acting like an agent. I, I, I went to work, I played with my kids, I, you know, I did everything that a normal uh, American uh, of my age did. Uh, but uh, they managed to uh, put a, a listening device in, into my kitchen. Uh, and and since since I wasn't uh, I wasn't alert anymore and, and watchful, I wasn't aware of that. So there was somewhere uh, in the in the kitchen ceiling. And one day, <clears throat> uh, my wife and I had an argument, 
and this was one of many and I, I was sick and tired of arguing and I was trying to tell her that you know how uh, what I sacrificed to, to be with her and our daughter Chelsea so I told her you know I once was an, a Russian agent and uh, I didn't uh, I didn't go I did I defied orders and took a huge risk to be with you and uh, of course the FBI was listening in and they had my confession so so later on you are on your way back from work yeah on my way back from work uh, uh, some uh, state trooper uh, just uh, pulled me over and told me there's a routine traffic stop of blah 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 and and then uh, the routine turned into something I never thought would happen because I had already forgotten that I once was a spy. But the you know, FBI agent uh, introduces himself, you know, he shows an ID and he, he, he didn't have to say a word. When, this, when he flipped his ID, I know that was, that was uh, you know, law enforcement. And then he said, yeah, FBI, we would like to have a talk with you. Yeah, he told me afterwards that, uh, you know, all the color went out of my face, you know, it was, it was like an avalanche of a flood of memories coming back in and the worry. What about me? What about the children? What about the wife? Yeah. So pretty much everything ends up crashing in. Mm -hmm. uh, you're caught and, um, you know, we don't have time to go into all the details, but they kind of make you a deal and they say, hey, if you debrief with us, yeah. with the CIA and with the FBI, you tell us everything that you know, right. um, then we'll allow you to stay because you're no longer an active agent anymore. You're not a threat to the United States. You, you know, have a, a life here, you have a family here. So they let you debrief, they let you do all of that. Um, but the relational toll catches up as well. And so you, your, your marriage ends here. Um, and eventually, yes. Eventually, and then your, your uh, family in Germany is told that you died. Yeah, that's right. And uh, the, see, the, the thing is, uh, when, when my wife found out that I had told her the truth, she lost all trust in me. She was not very trusting to begin with, but, with, but now she was married to an ex-spy. I can see why that would <coughs> cause some issues in the marriage. Uh, that'd be tough. Yeah. yeah. So, and so we, we went through a, a nasty divorce and uh, that, that was a time when, when I had a real strong emotional crisis and that's when the Lord introduced himself or he had, he had an ambassador to introduce so let, him. So let's, let's jump into that part of the story. So life is, is chaotic, everything's come down, you're trying to figure out, but you still have a good job. Yeah. You're a CIO of a, a, a company. Yeah. You have, 200 employees underneath you, so you're, you're still doing well uh, financially, right, right, right. and uh, someone else walks into your life eventually. Yes, uh, and I, I lost my administrative assistant, and so I had to hire a new one, and um, I, I got, HR gave me a bunch of candidates, and I phone screened some of them, and one of them came across a really, really, uh, very, very strong, very well-spoken, and I, I liked her until the last thing that she told me, oh, by the way, uh, I am a part-time Bible student. I'm, I'm, I'm attending Bible, a Bible college uh, after work. And if that's a, a problem, by the way, this was in Princeton, New Jersey, where that in some places that could have been a problem. I mean, if that's a problem, uh, you know, maybe we can stop the interview process right here. So uh, I was just thinking for a moment, she's so good now, I gotta talk to her. I just hope she's not a holy roller. Um, <laughs> Uh, and she came in, she aced 
the interview, not just with me, but uh, with a colleague of mine and human resources. So we hired her. Now, much later, she told me that uh, she, at that time, she had three uh, job offers with three different companies, and somehow God pointed out to her that she needed to go to the place where I worked because there was something for her to do. She didn't know anything else. She just knew that there was a task for her. And she was a very, very, very active evangelizer. You know, she, she talked about God with all, we, we, we were situated on an open floor, so you could walk around and talk to, you know, all the technicians, and she would talk about God with these people. Uh, not so much in the beginning with me, because I was the boss and she knew I wasn't a Christian. And so she eventually, uh, you, you, you find out that she's writing these papers. Eventually she gives you one of her papers yeah, that yeah. Uh, is on the book of Ruth. Is yeah, that, on the book right? of Ruth. Yeah, I asked her to give me a sample of her writing because she was a, her business writing was excellent. And I wanted to see if, you know, there's, there's, there's more there than, than just, you know, an administrative assistant. And, uh, and she uh, very smartly picked something that could not be interpreted uh, as an effort to evangelize. The book of Ruth can be read like a, like a regular story. Uh, and then something happened, uh, again, I don't know if God doesn't speak to me, but what happens in my case is I get these thoughts that I'm not pursuing, they just pop into my head. And this one uh, popped into my head and said, wait a minute, uh, I need to actually read the original to see if, if, you know, if, if your essay did it justice. So she was prepared, Bible on the, on the table. <laughs> <laughs> and so this was the first time in my life that I uh, had a Bible in my hands that I opened and, and actually read something in it. And another thought popped in, into my head. It says, wait a minute. This is the book that has had the most readers in history, probably more readers than all the other books together. And I always prided myself on, on having a lot of knowledge about many, many different I've things. I've heard that you were the best in your class. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a rumor. I don't know. <laughs> but we didn't have not even Bible 101. So anyway, so I, I, I had a knowledge gap. And so I, I asked uh, Shauna, is her name. I asked Shauna, can I keep this Bible? I want to read a little bit in it. And so she was prepared again. She gave me a set of CDs. So now I started, I, uh, my, my commute was about an hour. So I, I had one, one CD on the way to work and another CD uh, on the way home. And that became sort of Bible study because, you know, I had some questions. I thought there were some discrepancies. Uh, I needed some explanation about historic stuff and so forth. And who, who better to ask than the expert that, that, that was reporting to me? And eventually it became so much that uh, uh, we decided to set aside uh, an hour, two, two times a week, an hour prior to the official start of the workday. And, and in, a, in a company, in a highly secular company in, in, the, in the state of New Jersey, uh, we uh, did something we eventually uh, named Undercover Bible Study. Uh, so, um, but that was all still intellectual, right? So there, at that point, God hadn't really touched me. That, but that came, if, 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 if I may, uh, that, that came soon thereafter. Uh, Shauna had gotten to know me well enough to know that I'm, I'm a thinker, first and foremost. 
And for me to become a Christian, my, uh, my head had, had, to, had to lead. Uh, and so she introduced me to Christian apologetics. Uh, and my first encounter was with a radio program called Let My People Think that was run by Ravi Zacharias. And of course, as it happens to many of us, when you go to church and, and uh, you, know, you hear the sermon, uh, you figured out that the pastor was preparing to talk to just to you. And, and the first time I, I, I turned the, this, this program on, the Dr. Zacharias spoke exactly to me. That, that was the, his purpose. And, and, the, and the, let me give a little background why, why that was the case. Uh, I had always thought of myself as a good boy, a good young person, a good man, and yet this good person had done a bunch of bad things, and, and I, I could not reconcile the two. You know, the fact that I left my German wife, the fact that uh, my mother was looking for me until she died and could never find me. And, and, you know, I broke a bunch of laws, so I had done a few evil things. And, and how, do you, how do you put the two together? And so Dr. Zacharias talked about morality. And the first thing he, he pointed out, and, and, and that, that engaged me right away, he said, morality cannot come from the inside. Well, I knew that. I, knew, I was, I was uh, proof of that. My, my morality, whatever I had, didn't come from here. So it had to come from the outside. Had, there, had to be, there has to be a moral law, and uh, a moral law that is rather universal. Uh, and uh, then he spoke the, uh, the sentence that clinched it for me. He said, where there is a moral law, there has to be a lawgiver. And so that, that's the Lord. And at that point, I, I immediately became a deist. I, uh, I, I, I said, yes, there has to be a God. And uh, that, was a, that was a big step for me. And, and but, but that conviction was uh, actually str strengthened significantly uh, when Shauna pointed out uh, uh, a, a Christian author by the name of C.S. Lewis. And I read two of his books, and then I took a... I audited a course at a, at a, at a biblical college about C.S. Lewis, and I, you know I, I understand the logic behind uh, Christianity, which well, coming into the United States, I had no, no idea that there was logic in, in our faith. You know, would, I thought it was just stupid belief, right? Now I know stupid belief is atheism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. I want to get to the, to the mm -hmm. end of that story because, so first, you're engaged intellectually with the Christian apologetics, you introduce these arguments for God, then for Jesus, and then you start, um, eventually, uh, Shauna brings you to a church for yeah. the first time, right. and, and you go into a church and you think, one, you're terrified yes. to go into a church, um, but the other is you, you start listening to the pastor, things start making some sense, and you're hanging out there for a little bit until one day you decide, I think I believe this. Well, um, again, this, this pastor, uh, uh, his sermon was directed at me because I told you I wasn't a, you know, it wasn't an emotional crisis at the time and he spoke about uh, the love of God and the word love was probably mentioned like 20, 25 times in his sermon and afterwards I actually 
went up to him and approached him and, and, and did something that I never thought it would, would be doing and I complimented him on his, uh, on his delivery and would, would you believe he brought out uh, his assistant pastor, they laid hands on me and prayed over me and I wasn't uncomfortable. So that started my regular attendance at that church and maybe about three months later the, the church had no altar call, but you know I didn't care. Somehow I was, I, I, this invisible force uh, made me go up to the pastor at the end of the service, and he looked at me. Can I help you? I says, Yeah, I want to live, give my life to Jesus. And <laughs> and there there was still commotion in, in church. People were leaving, and he he told people he knew that I. Uh, my, my background was uh, atheism, and he told him this, that we, we had to have a new believer, and there was applause, and uh, there was a lot of stuff going on, and I was out of it. I cannot remember anything. I only know, know this because Shauna told me she was there. And uh, a few months later, I got baptized in water, and um, uh, the first, the first uh, Easter uh, I gave my testimony in that church, uh, so and uh, it's been. Uh, I found a home. Okay, I'm, I, I, the Lord took me home already here on this earth, and one day I will be with Him. Mm. Yeah, that's so cool. So, um, so yes. So there's so much more that I wish we could go over, and, and we're already over in time. Um, but there, there's even more. You know the the life that you had lived and now this new life and then now there's process of reconciliation with your, with your kids and, and there's cool stories there of how you've begun to reconcile with them. Um, and by the way, Shauna, uh, you eventually married her, which seemed to be the right thing to do. Uh, so that, that's good. Yeah. And you guys, this is cool. And you guys have a, a daughter named Trinity. Yeah. And here's, here's what's fun. And her godfather is the FBI agent yes. that ended up uh, debriefing you and yes. all that stuff. Yes. So that's very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Well, hey, let me, uh, let me pray for us really quick. And then Jack is actually going to be out in the lobby if you just want to shake his hand and say hi. So let me pray. Mm -hmm. Lord God, thank you so much for uh, just how you have been at work in Jack's life and just the incredible testimony that he has. Um, Lord, you can take us from wherever we are, no matter where we are in life and, and what we have done and what we think and what we believe, and you can bring us to you. And so, Lord God, um, we are just uh, encouraged by the work that you are doing in his life and, and have already done. And um, if there's anybody in this room who might feel distant from you or might even not know you, that this would uh, encourage them to take the next step. And so, Lord, um, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We guys stand with me. Jack will be out there. Also, we have a Kona truck out there where you can, kids can get some uh, food as well, all that kind of stuff. Hang out for a while, uh, and we'll see you next week. God bless. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we have live services on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings in our West Auditorium. Or you can watch live online at scgchurch.org or on our YouTube and Facebook.